Shalom and welcome to this week's Think Jewish. This week's title is Untouchable. Subtitle, Creating Consistency of Self in Our Lives. Before we get into the uh, Torah portion connection and before we get into the mystical teachings of two consecutive Maimorim that the Rebbe delivered in 1968, let us start, we usually wait for the practical implication for the end. This time let's start with the practical implication from the beginning. Let's at least set the tone to where we're heading to, okay, for tonight's class. Question. Why is it so within human nature to struggle with consistency? To me, it seems as if only the chosen few were blessed with the personality profile groomed for consistency. And it comes with such a heavy price upon other areas of personality profiles that it makes someone like me grateful that I am not so blessed. So, that's what we're going to explore tonight from Kabbalah and Hasidic perspective. What is this struggle? Why do we have this human struggle with consistency? And more importantly, what we can do about it. Okay? So that's what we're going to, that's going to be where we're heading to tonight. Let me just give you the answer to the why in a nutshell. And then later we'll, you'll see through the bird's eye view of Kabbalah and Hasidis, We'll be able to understand the why, the how, and what exactly it's all about. But the answer to the why, in a nutshell, is that the human experience of life is on the emotional level. That's the way it is according to Kabbalah and Hasidus. Now, emotions are consistently, continuously subject to evolution and the, the restructuring of our emotional balance throughout our life, year, month, week, day and even hour our moods our emotions are consistently evolving there's consistently a restructuring of the emotional balance that we're experiencing in the present moment so therefore you understand that if our experience of life is the emotions then consistency is going to be a problem because our emotions are forever changing okay so let's just understand something very interesting According to Kabbalah and Hasidus, the difference between the animal kingdom and the human race is not in the cortex of our brain as we intellectually contemplate abstract issues. That's not what Hasidus says. It's not that we have the frontal lobe, the cortex, and we're able to think abstract. We're able to ponder our own death, our own life, and the purpose, so forth and so on. That is not what truly defines a human being according to Kabbalah Chassidus. Because as I told you, the true experience of the human being is emotions. Thus, what differs between us and animal kingdom is that our cortex has an impact on our emotions. Our emotions are different emotions than animals have. That is where the difference between the human race and the animal kingdom lies okay so today we're going to understand that the nature's laws which govern emotions really is the definition of our experience of life what we're going to study today is what we're going to experience today is we're going to have a bird's eye view from the Torah the branch of as expressed in Hasidus 
what is nature's laws which govern emotions and thus from there we'll understand our daily experience of life okay so now you know before we even start where the practical issue is going to lead us to understanding that because we are the experience of emotions emotions are never consistent thus the human struggles with consistency we're going to understand that from the bird's eye view through the torah what exactly is nature's laws that governs emotions and then from there we'll understand how to deal with it to be able to start having consistency in our life okay so now that we understand where we're heading to let's now go back to the torah portion let's talk about this week's torah portion this week's torah portion is the direct outcome and response of the end of last week's torah portion in last week's torah portion we started studying how moses started conquering israel for the jewish people on the other side of the jordan but he started conquering he brought down the two big kingdoms of og and of um, and of sichon and what was the reaction to that that all the other nations began to tremble who was the first of the other nations that we hear started trembling was Balak, the king of moab and he reached out to his actual enemy but because they now both shared a common fear and hatred to the jewish people they were willing to team up and start discussing what do we do about the jewish people that are coming to conquer us what happens Balak was no fool and Balak realizes that the people the jewish people's warfare was very different than all the other nations so he started inquiring as to what the secret of the jewish people is and what are and what does he find out he finds out that the jewish people's power of warfare is in their mouth and not in their hands as you remember isaac said hakol kol yaakov the voice is the voice of jacob the hands are the hands of Esau. So now that he found out that the Jewish people, their power is with their mouth, i.e. prayer. So he decided that he was going to find someone that can battle them on their warfare. And what does he do? He hires someone who was given the gift by God, the power of the mouth. He was a prophet and his name was Bilam. Parenthetically speaking, I just want you to know how powerful Bilam was. The verse says that there arose no other prophet amongst the Jews as the prophet Moses. And our sages want to know why the extra words amongst the Jews? As you just said, come od navi. Why loka od navi be Israel? There was no other. And the answer is because the Gentiles did have a prophet who was equal to Moses in power. And that was Bilam. Bilam was the shadow of Moses. So you understand that he was no simple person. He had greater powers than every other Jewish prophet other than Moses. Not simple. So what does Balak do? Balak hires Bilam. King Balak hires prophet Bilam and says, I want you to curse the Jewish people for me. What unfolds in the Torah portion? What unfolds is that Bilam is incapable. He just cannot curse the Jewish people rather he gives them blessings parenthetically speaking the most beautiful prayer that every jew knows we say it every morning how good are your ten so israel actually comes from one of the sentences that came out of bilam's mouth 
So as Bilaam told the messengers and told Balak, it is the words that God places within my mouth that I can speak. And thus he was unable to curse the Jewish people. He was only able to bless the Jewish people. One of the verses that he said I want to read to you, and that is as follows. For as the head of mountain peaks I see them, and I behold them as hills. Right? It's in the verse what Bilom says. Mirosh surim arenu, right? Umigvaot ashurenu. What does this mean? Simply speaking, Bilom is defining why the Jews are untouchable. He can't curse them. Why can't he curse them? So he just said, For as the head of mountain peaks I see them, and I behold them as hills. They are above and beyond. We can't curse them. Our sages explain the similes that we find in this verse and explains what does it mean as the head of mountain peaks? This refers to our patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does he mean when he says the hills? This refers to the matriarchs Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. And thus he's saying, simply speaking, we can say that he's saying because the nation, the children of Israel are found upon these great sources, they're protected and untouchable. However, it gets deeper than that. Because he doesn't say that they come from there. He says, I see them. Which means that the children of Israel today, as they stand in the desert, I'm talking about in the year of uh, 2488. We're talking about the year when, Bil when Bilon was cursing them. We'll soon see that so too it applies to us. But he's saying that the present children of Israel don't only stand upon the head of mountain peaks and hills, but rather I see them as they are. Meaning that the Jewish people, even after all their suffering and all the uh, secular assimilations that they had in Egypt, they still maintained within them that power of being trustworthy true offspring of the patriarchs and the matriarchs and therefore they as they stand today i see them as the head of mountain peaks and hills and therefore they are untouchable by me kabbalah steps in and says what does this mean on a spiritual level and on a spiritual level we're going to talk about tonight both on the level of spiritual emanations in the process of creation and we're going to talk about the soul remember what God said to the angels let us make mankind in our image and our likeness God has no image how can we make it in our image and the explanation that we're given is that the soul was made with the ten faculties which are the reflection and the image and the likeness of the ten spiritual emanations with which the world was created okay so that's what we're going to discuss tonight so, here's what it's all about. The, the, the parents, we're talking about here the patriarchs and the matriarchs. They represent intellects. We know that the first three of the ten emanations and the first three of the souls, of the soul's faculties is defined as what? The three intellects, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. For tonight, we're not going to be discussing knowledge because we're going to be discussing the supernal crown 
and knowledge in the supernal crown are mutu mutually exclusive, explained in other places, not for tonight. Okay? So when we talk about the children of Israel, which are the offspring of the matriarchs and the patriarchs, we're talking about emotions. So intellects are the parents, their offspring is emotions. This is clearly explained in chapter 3 of Tanya, when we talk about the soul, okay? Simply speaking, let's not get all Kabbalistic for a moment, your emotional reaction to any single subject or situation or item all depends upon your perception. Whether your emotional reaction is fear, love, attraction, compassion, distaste, all of that will depend upon your perception. And that's why you have two people with total different emotional reactions to the same situation. You'll have the same person as he grows up in life and alters and changes, refines his perception, his emotional reaction is different. So we see that the emotions are the offspring of the intellect. Okay? Now, when we talk about the in we talk about the emotions. Let's talk about the emotions for a moment, okay? When we talk about the emotions on the level of creation, we're talking about now the spherot, the spiritual emanations. We are taught in Kabbalah that what? That the six days of creation is the six male emotions. And it actually matches perfectly. The first day is kindness. Kindness is all about revelation and light. On Sunday, what was created? Light. On Monday, we have strength, strictness, justice. They're all one and the same. What do we have? The separation of the waters, the heaven and the earth, the definition of boundaries. That's what strictness is all about. Go all the way to the sixth day. What's the sixth emanation? Foundation, commitment. What was created on that day? The human being. We talk about Shabbat. What is Shabbat? Shabbat is the feminine mystique emanation, which is kingship, malchut. So you see that creation is all about the emotions. However, let's talk about a different teaching. We all know the teaching, Alpayim Shana Kadma Torah Olam. 2,000 years before creation, before the world existed, there was the Torah. That teaching is extremely problematic. Because before the Bet of Bereshis, before the very first moment of creation, there was no such thing as time and space. So how can you have 2,000 years before creation? If the first aspect, the first umbrella law that governs all of creation was the creation of time and space. So the Arizal, Rabbi Zaglory of Tzfat, he explains that the 2,000 years, it's a play of words. The word Alpayim means thousand. The word Aalefcha means your teacher. And he says that what we're talking about, the 2000s, really refers to 1000 is wisdom, 1000 is understanding. And once again, what are we experiencing here? That they are the teachers, the parent of the emotions. So once again, what are we finding here? We're finding that our experience, creation, is all about emotions. That's who we are. Our parent, our source, our teachers, they are the 2,000 years. That is intellects. Now let's just talk about that for a moment here. What this means to us. 
when we say that Bilaam says, I cannot curse the Jewish people because I see them as they exist within intellect, even though they are emotions, what we're saying here is that emotions are touchable. Intellect is not touchable. Why? Because when we talk about the 2,000 years, we talk about the Torah, we talk about the intellect of wisdom and understanding, we're talking about clear humbleness, transparency, and oneness to divinity. And thus, they don't change. However, when we talk about creation, we talk about emotions, we talk about the constant evolution of emotions, what is the first thing we find out in creation is that on the level of emotions, we're susceptible to getting stronger, getting weaker. We're even susceptible to sin. That's the first thing that happened with Adam and Eve, hours within their creation. Thus, we see that the emotions, because they don't have that steadfast, purity, transparency, they're already touching ego, thus they are susceptible to sin. Thus, they are susceptible to being cursed. They are no more untouchable. So now we understand the difference between the emotions and the intellect. We, the offspring, are the experience of emotions, but we are built upon the steadfast purity and absolute transparency of the matriarchs and the patriarchs to God Almighty and thus connected to them and we're soon going to see even more than that being open to experience them as emotions Bilaam says I can't curse them but now you understand why emotions are touchable while intellect the, the emanations of intellect are not touchable Let's talk about the infrastructure of the human soul. The human soul, like I told you, has these 10 faculties. When we talk about on a lower level, we'll soon see later, we'll talk about the higher level. On a lower level, when we subdivide the two, two categories of the human soul, we talk about the intellects and we talk about the emotions. The emotions are defined as the linear, finite, egocentric self. When we talk about the intellects, we talk about them as this circular, infinite power of humbleness. Let's again get practical here. You are intellectually capable of studying and exploring and understanding that which you cannot have any emotional connection with. Through elementary school, we do it all the time. Not only that, we are intellectually capable of understanding that which we have a very negative, repulsive feeling about. Thus, the feeling is more the I. I'm stuck within it. But intellectually, I can study even that which I absolutely abhor. If that's what I need to study to get the points and the credits to be able to get my diploma, so be it. Even though emotionally I'm repulsed by it. So you see that the power of intellect has a greater humbleness, a, ga a greater transparency to truth than the emotions do. So once again, we live in the emotions, but the emotions are susceptible to changes and sin, and thus they're not untouchable by Bilaam and his curse, 
while the intellect level rises above that. Okay? This is why, the, it, it, the way I explain it right now, and again, I run a monologue, but you're asking the question, I'm just going to quickly respond to it. What I'm saying here for tonight, just to understand is, the fact that the feelings are so connected to my egocentric self, that which I like and that which I don't like, that which I tolerate, that which I'm repulsed by, while the intellect is not that tight, the intellect is totally open to explore and thoroughly understand that which I have no emotional connections with or that which I have a negative emotional connection with. On that level we find the intellect being more humble than the emotions. That's just a point I put on the table tonight. It's explained in very different ways, in greater ways. I just wanted to make a practical understanding here. Okay? By the way, let's talk about in the most simple layman's terms. Most of us will get into trouble when we live with the what I want instead of with the what I know. Which means that emotions are what's open to change and mistake. While intellect, if you could have that humble objectiveness, you're much safer in living with the what I know than what I want. Now we understand what Bilon was telling us about the secret of our people. The secret of our people is that even as we are emotions, if we can just open ourselves up beyond the I want, but to live emotionally with the what I know, we are then protected and untouchable. Because we then have the transparency and the commitment to divinity. The intellect connection with the emotions allows for the emotions to hear divine direction. And that allows them to remain untouchable. But here is the big question of tonight. If what we're saying tonight is that we, our experience of self and our experience of life is all on the emotion level, it's all within the emotional arena, then how can we now say that we as emotional creatures are capable of overcoming the I want and live steadfast with the I know. It seems to be exact opposite of who we genetically are. If we're clearly defining ourselves from the point of creation, we were created in the six days of emotions, not the 2,000 years prior to intellects. So from our very source, we are emotions. What drives us to do or not to do is only our love and our fear. It's about our emotions. So then how can we say that we are capable today as the children of Israel, not the holy transparent matriarchs and patriarchs, but rather us as the emotionally bubbly confused children of Israel, we're capable to step out of the I want and open it up for the I know? How is that possible? And yet that's what Bilaam is telling us. I see them today the children of Israel, as they stand on the head of mountain peaks and the hills. Okay? So to understand this, we're going to discuss a little bit more. Until now, we only spoke in a general fashion. Wisdom, understanding are the parents, and emotions are the offspring. 
we're going to need to get a little bit more intrinsic in the details of how this works to understand because we're now going to explore three different levels of how emotions exist and what that means to us in our practical life okay so let's talk first about wisdom wisdom represents father understanding represents mother okay now let's talk about father wisdom in the physical reproduction the father in a single sperm cell what does he transmit he transmits the entire DNA of the offspring everything is there however in what way is it there it's there in a way where the emotions actually have no absolutely zero nada of a identity of self they're the way they are in the DNA ladder right the offspring is the emotion but when you look at what the father transmits you don't see an emotion you don't even see the power of an emotion you don't even see the source of an emotion all you see is the way the emotions exist in a DNA ladder correct that is the highest level of how emotions exist they are completely all-inclusive within the realm of absolute transparency of wisdom let's talk about that just a little bit more I want to I want to really understand for a moment what the difference between wisdom and understanding is because there's the way the emotions exist in the father wisdom and there's the way they exist in the understanding mother so let's really understand what is wisdom wisdom is the brain of creativity what is creativity the word creativity coming from creation ex nihilo what does that mean the power to create something out of nothing that's what creativity means you came up with a new genius creativity now ultimately speaking what is the intellect of wisdom the intellect of wisdom is the openness to be able to receive that divine experience creativity in its truest self is not human experience humans only know how to manipulate that which already exists that's not creativity creativity is to come up with the new come up with the new ex nihilo is only the power of God so really our intellect of wisdom is really an openness to receive that divine experience which is why most often after someone all of a sudden has that flash of wisdom his hand and pen are moving 90 miles per hour trying to get everything down before he loses it and he forgets it it was a divine experience now let me ask of you how does the human mind engage to open up for that divine experience of creativity the word wisdom in Hebrew is chachma the word chachma is made up of two Hebrew words koach ma the potential of what so really if you look about how a person prepares himself to experience wisdom it's more the silencing of the mind it's more the silencing of the self allowing yourself to open up to something which is far greater than you that's creativity that's connecting the way Napoleon Hill calls it to the higher intellect when you talk about understanding that's different in the intellect of understanding you so to speak roll up your sleeves and engage 
into the intellectual pursuit. You're very conscious of the self. I need to understand. Now, when you talk about understanding, which is the mother, what happens within the mother's part of reproduction? What's happening here is that the mother in the nine months gestation period is extrapolating and actualizing all that lied hidden in the DNA ladder into its true three-dimensional form. Let's talk about this again. The offspring is the emotions. The parents consummating is wisdom and understanding. In wisdom, the offspring has no identity of self. It's nothing more than a strand in the DNA ladder. There's no ego at all. It is completely part and parcel of the wisdom transparent experience. However, in the world of understanding, the mother, in that nine months of gestation, what are we having here is that the emotions are now picking up their own three-dimensional form. Now, I want to be clear. The emotions in wisdom is like the embryo in a pregnant woman. The embryo lives off the mother's blood and the mother's food and has no identity of self. However, within the realm of the mother, there is an embryo. It's not like in the semen of the father. We're talking here a full-blown embryo with a three-dimensional child. To make this more understood on the intellectual level, I want to share with you a, a, I'm sorry? I want to share with you the, the concept, the way it's explained in Chassidus in pure intellect. So two people come to the Jewish court. There's three rabbi judges sitting. They present the case to the three rabbis. On the first level, on the first level, these three rabbis must be absolutely objective and abstract about the case. There's no plaintiff, there's no defendant, there's no court case. All we're trying to find is the nucleus of the case to find the Torah law, which of the Torah laws applies to it, how it applies to it. That's all. We're looking at the absolute abstract wisdom of it. We don't see no more physical damage. We see verses. We see words. We see extrapolations. That's all there is. On that level, emotions, opinions don't exist. We're just looking to find this court case within Torah, on a Torah level, period. What happens on the next intellectual level? The next intellectual level of understanding is where the rabbis each understand in accordance to the lens of their perception. I want to explain to you what that means. That means if we had a court case where the great sage Hillel and the great sage Shammai were two of the rabbis, on the level of understanding, Hillel understood the words of Torah through the paradigm of leniency because to the very core of his soul he was a product of the emanation of chesed kindness while Shammai his soul came from the branch of strictness and justice 
Therefore, his understanding, I didn't say his verdict. We're not talking about verdicts yet. We're not even talking about opinions yet. We're talking about the perception of Torah's words. For Shammai was always strict. You all remember the famous story. The same person came to Shammai and told him, teach me the Torah on one foot and I will convert. Shammai pushed him out. He came to Hillel and Hillel just quietly stood up on one foot and gave the entire Torah teaching, which was all about love your fellow Jew. Don't do unto others what you don't want done unto you. This wasn't an argument of opinion. This was a paradigm difference in how they understood the Torah. Thus, in the world of understanding, even though there are no opinions and verdicts yet, but the emotions have a very strong identity and impact upon the world of understanding. Thus, we have the absolute transparent emotions in the world of wisdom. We have the emotions in the level of understanding, but over here, it's still an intellect. It's not an opinion. It's not an I want. But it does have a strong identity upon the perception of understanding. Then there's a third level of emotions where we talk about the emotions of the heart. The emotions of the heart is already where the mother gave birth to the child. We're going to talk over here how the emotions are of that ego identity as the child who feels separate from the parent. We find this unbelievably by adolescence where their entire focus is not just about who they are, it's about who they're not. I'm not you, mommy. I'm not you, Tati. I have my own opinion. In that world of emotions, where the emotions have their own identity, their egocentric identity, remember that emotions have no steady, fast consistency. They're forever restructuring their balance. They're forever evolving. And thus over here, they're disconnected to the absolute transparency of divinity, of divine direction. And thus, they're susceptible to sin, which makes them susceptible to being cursed by Bilam. So you now understand the Kabbalistic view of everything that's going on here. Now let's understand what Bilam is telling us. Bilam is telling us a secret about ourselves that even we don't know. Because we as emotional beings pretty much come to term that we just can't do consistency. So we consistently change. This is my pet project now. Then I'm going to have another pet project. Those of us who are a little less ADD, we can at least stick to one project for a nice amount of time. Those of us who are totally ADD forgot tomorrow what we made up yesterday. But that's what it is, and we pretty much are helpless to this. We just accept it. We just accept that some of us are just starters. We start things, we hand it over, and we move on. Because we really think that we don't have that power to be able to connect and open and embody a steadfast, pure, non-changeable, untouchable transparency to God. Transparency to the essence of self. Thus, Bilam is telling us, 
if we are capable of keeping an open communication from mind to heart, if we can have our hearts always listen, have a reality check, station identification with the mind, we would then be open to have this stability, to have this steadfast, which allows us to be connected to God regardless of. The I want is subservient to the I know because the I want is continuously doing station identifications with the mind, asking itself, is this okay for who I am? I don't know if you people ever read the beautiful book by Rabbi Avraham Tversky, PhD, and he writes a book called My Father's Table. And he writes over there a very interesting thing. His father educated him most often, not with halachic answers, legal answers, but with a phrase that gets straight to the core of the issue. Sepasnish. It's not befitting. If your emotions are open to that communication of the mind, just a transparency to who you are, it's not befitting. End of story. Then even as the children of Israel in the desert, we stand as the head of the mountain peaks and the hills, untouchable by Bilam. We're now going to up this one last final notch. I spoke to you how the emotions are in the heart, higher than that and more transparent than that, how they are in understanding, intellect of understanding, higher and more transparent than that in the realm of wisdom. However, in the world of Kabbalah, remember I told you before in the lower level we divided the intellects as the infinite circular and the emotions as the linear finite. But really, when you talk about it in the bigger picture of Kabbalah and Hasidus, by the spiritual emanations, all ten emanations, starting from wisdom and ending by kingship, all are finite, linear, ever-evolving. When we talk about the circular, we talk about the supernal crown. So too by the soul. When we talk about the lower three levels of the soul, known as, from bottom up, nefesh, ruach, neshama, we're talking about from wisdom to the power of kingship, expression of thought, speech, and action. All of those are linear and permeate within the body. When we talk about the higher two levels of the soul, we refer to them as the supernal crown of the soul. So too, we talk about the emanations, all the ten spherot from wisdom to kingship are all linear, finite, and ever-evolving. When we talk about the supernal crown, that's the infinite circular. The supernal crown is made up of its outer dimension. In the Kabbalistic terms of emanation, we call that long faces. In the concept of faculties of the soul, we call it the power of will. But then there's the inner dimension the essence core dimension of the supernal crown, which is also when we talk about the essence core dimension of the soul, that is called Atiko Kadisha, which translates either as the holy ancient one or the detached one. For tonight, without getting into all the complications, the common expression 
of the ancient one and the disconnected one is that they are completely disconnected and unaffected by the evolution of time by creation they stand eternally unchanged untouched when we talk about it in the personal dimension of the soul most of you already are familiar with the Yiddish phrase Ter in Spanish that's El Chispa de Judio that is the essence spark of the Jew that is the essence spark of the Jew which allowed for the Jewish people throughout the centuries of religious persecution to die as Jews for you and I in our generation where we're not facing persecution it is the power not to die as a Jew in the face of persecution it is the power to live of a Jew as a Jew in the face of assimil assimilation and the secular power of the American dream to be able to live like a Jew within these great forces that are fighting it that only comes from the essence core of the soul now when we talk about the Kabbalah we talk about the linear and the circular wisdom is the top of the linear which touches the circular correct you have the circle and what's the top of the line is wisdom I want you to pay attention to the words of Bilam. he didn't say from the mountains peak he said Merosh Surim from the head of the mountains peak what this means to us in Kabbalah is and in Hasidus that he's not talking about wisdom as wisdom is the top of the linear line he's actually talking about an unbelievable Kabbalistic ruling brought down in the famous teachings of the pre Chaim that says the interior essence of wisdom is the interior essence of the holy ancient one it is one and the same because wisdom has that total nullification and transparency it can house the true core essence of the Ein Sof. the Alter Rebbe the first Lubavitcher Rebbe in Tanya twice quotes this in the name of his teacher as my teacher my master he referring to Rabdov Ber of Mazrich the Magid said that only Chachma because of its absolute transparency and humbleness can house the Ein Sof. So when we talk about Merosh Tzurim, not Tzurim, not mountain peaks, but from the head of the mountain peaks, we're talking about the essence Pintalayid. Let me tell you how that translates in the feeling of love. When you say to Shema Yisrael, what's the first thing you say after that? And you shall love God your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. If you remember, we previously already explored this issue. All your might means the essence core of your being, the spark of creator within creation. And thus you understand that we're talking about the feelings, the emotions, as they are attached to the essence core of our being when we are capable and we are capable but when we're willing to have that absolute self-sacrifice of the ego self where the word I want isn't on the radar screen 
It is all about thy will be done. Allow my emotions to completely embody the core essence of who I am. On that level, even as emotions in the playground of emotions, in the arena of the heart, we are untouchable because we are steadfast, pure, and absolutely transparently committed. And that is what Bilaam said about the Jewish people in the desert. He said that these people, no matter what they went through in Egypt, no matter how much they rebelled with Mo against Moses and God, you should know that I see in them the Pintalayid. These people are their parents. They are unchangeable. They will die for God. They will live for God. And thus, I cannot curse them. Because the emotions, as they exist in the heart, embody the Pintalayid as it exists in the core of the Ancient One, the essence of the soul. This is what the verse means in the world of Kabbalah. Let me just be clear about one thing. You know, when we start talking about these things, I assume that you feel how I felt when I stood by the Rebbe and the Rebbe all of a sudden started talking about how definitely everyone here already did Teshuva. It's after Yud Beis Tammuz, after Yud Gimel Tammuz. Everyone definitely is absolutely connected to the above, pure of sins. And I was thinking, standing there, <laughs> Rebbe, you're not talking about me. Right? That's the feeling we have. So I'm talking to you now about the steadfast purity, your emotions. No, I want, I know. And you're like, okay, that's, that's nice. That would make a nice book. But it isn't what life is all about. So I want to share with you something very important for us all to understand and embrace. The definitions of core essence of a Jew, the pintalayid, the self-sacrifice of a Jew, is not about quantitative it's about qualitative what does that mean for you and I what it means is that when there is a Jew who has a core essence connection with one mitzvah with one tradition of Judaism that he learned from his grandmother or she learned from her grandmother and they say no matter what this mitzvah I will always do. Or, no matter what, this prohibition I will never commit. What you're hearing here is a qualitative core essence of a Jew. The way it's expressing itself in the emotions of the heart that will drive the way this person thinks, speaks, and acts. Now, you and I may ridicule this Jew. Really? You drove to the baseball game and ate a hamburger on Yom Kippur. Now, you want to tell me how this I'll never do. And what is the this, by the way? It's probably not biblical, not even rabbinical. It's something that his grandmother told him that in the shtetl, in Poland, they used to do it. But to him, that is his one core essence relationship with God. That's what Bilaam's talking about. That Jew is uncursable. That Jew is untouchable. 
Now, the goal in life is like the 12th step of the 12 traditions. To make this new way of living the way we live in all our affairs. But because it's a qualitative issue, because the Jew manifested his core essence in one detail of his being, he is untouchable and uncursable. And that's what Bilaam's saying. That's what I see in every single Jew. From the one with the dyed spike here and the earrings to the one who's shuckling away at the Kotel. Each and every one of them, I see that core essence of the Holy Ancient One in their soul that controls at some point what they do and how they live in their emotional lives. That is the secret that Bilaam is teaching us about our own being, who we are. Bilaam understood that even while we feel like hypocrites, he understood at the core essence level to our own self be true is how Jews really live. We just need to find where that Pintele Yid will express itself. For one, it's to not intermarry. For the other one, it's just to go to Shul and Yom Kippur for five minutes on the way to the airport. We don't know. For one, it's you got to be by a Seder. You have no idea how many people don't come to Shul Yom Kippur, but they'll never miss the chauffeur at the end of Yom Kippur. Which, by the way, if you look into the laws of it, that's only supposed to happen on the Jubilee year. has nothing what to do with the Teshuvah of Yom Kippur. It has to do with the Jubilee year. But the Jew, for some reason, it realized, no, 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 no. This is core essence. That's all. Okay? <sighs> There's one more question we need to ask. If Bilam took us all the way to the head of the mountain peak, which is not just wisdom, but the way wisdom exists within the Holy Ancient One, then why did he bother talking about the matriarch's understanding? That's so much lower. That's infinitely lower than the Holy Ancient One. If we're talking about not only the way the emotions exist in the DNA ladder, we're talking about the way they exist in the Holy Ancient One, really, we have to talk about the, the child in the, in, in the mother's womb? At that level of ego? Why? The explanation here is unbelievable. My friends, of what use is our core essence if we cannot express it in the way we live and how we affect our surroundings? And thus Bilaam says, no, it's not just that I see deep, deep, deep within there, there's a pintalayid. I see that each one of them knows how to express it in their own special way. And that's why we mentioned both. The holy ancient one, the core essence of self, and the expressive understanding. The rolling up your sleeves with the feeling and identity of self and engage in who you are. Okay, guys, now goes the in-closing part. Let's go back to how we started the question. We started tonight with what? The question of consistency. Why do we all struggle with consistency? We said because we are creatures of emotions. Emotions are ever evolving. Some days they're stronger, some days they're weaker, and some days they're completely changed. What is this teaching teaching us? It's telling us that what? That if we can have our emotions just be a little bit humble and open themselves up for the untouchable and unchangeable core of essence, 
we'll be okay. So let me introduce you to a very interesting book written by Jim Collins. It's a business book called From Good to Great. In that book, I want to share with you just one little aspect. He talks about two national drugstores. And he talks about how each one of them responded differently to the internet. The great company, it approached the internet from the understanding of its core essence. Who are we? What do we do? And how can the internet serve us? I want to be more particular here. The core essence of a company, according to Jim Collins, is defined where the three circles overlap. There's that little space where three circles overlap. Those three circles are, number one, what is its passion? Number two, what is it best at? Number three, what drives its economical engine? Now, those three circles laying like a triangle, in the center there's just a little place where they all overlap. That little triangle where they all overlap is the true core essence of the company. Because that's where the three circles all coexist. Now the company that was great when it approached this new phenomena of the internet, and if you remember all the internet companies were making zillions and billions of dollars, it was a new phenomena. This drug company stayed back and said, whoa, we need to understand how can this help us be who we are so much better. The other drug company actually succumbed to that enticement of the internet. It stepped out of its core essence. And therefore, it did not have sustainable greatness. Let's listen to what, what Jim Collins is saying. Look at it from the perspective of everything we just learned from the Rebbe's Mimer. So the real, the real experience of a company is in the level of its emotions which drives it to do things. That's where the real company exists. However, every single company has a core essence which defines its very self. Now, the company that has its emotions open and transparent, subservient to its core essence, will have sustainable greatness. However, the company where the core essence is not communicating with the emotions that drives the decisions of the company, they will not have sustainable greatness. Exactly what the mimer just told you. Let's talk about it on a very personal level. Every single human being has to have knowledge of who their core essence self is. Now, I want to explain what this means. We all hear that other people are doing these amazing things. We all get emails about how important this is and that is. So if we were just to listen to everyone, we have over here nature walks, yoga, meditation, exercise. I mean, unbelievable. And they're all wonderful. They're all correct. But the person who's going to try to make resolutions and consistency in all of the above is cuckoo. Why? Because the core essence of one person isn't the present core essence of the other person. Where the other person is in life 
Their core essence is to be able to go ahead and do yoga and meditation and whatever it is. However, where this person, I, am right now in my life, even if this does match my core essence, but one thing is for sure, there is a time and stage of life reference too. In other words, I need to first tend to the vital organs of who my core essence self is before I tend to the extremities of who my core essence did, is. So while dieting may be very important for me right now, but I have some other issues that are actually presently the vital organs which will define whether I do or don't continue sustaining myself. And thus you understand that on this level, I need to be honest with myself. What is my core essence? I love the calmness of that person. And I was blown away to find out it's because she does yoga and meditation twice a week. But guess what? I presently in my stage of life with time sharing, with carpooling, cannot do that right now. I have a shul that I need to save. So for me to decide, that's it, that's it, I'm doing meditation. Did you see that person? Oh, that's what I want to be. I want what that person has. That's me not being true to the core essence of who I am today. It's my emotion stepping out of who I am, getting excited about who you are, and that will not allow for consistency. I want to tell you the KISS rule. Keep it simple, sweetie. Keep it simple, sweetie, means that we need to do two things according to this teaching to embrace the sustainable consistency. What is that? Number one, Chassidim had a practice, and usually it was Thursday night, to sit down with self before you went to bed and said the Shema, to really once again take out your mission statement of your own life, of your core essence. To know who you are, and what is the true core essence where those three circles overlap who define who you are? And then you ask yourself about the behavioral patterns or the commitments and resolutions that I'm making. Do they match? Are they sustainable within the realm of who my core essence is? If not, as beautiful as it may be, it isn't mine today. I need to let it go. Number one. Number two, whenever you get excited, whenever you get excited about this new concept, and you, that's it, this is the answer to all my problems, take a deep breath, step back from it, and get in touch with that mission statement of your core essence. For who I am today, is this something I should engage with, or should I not? Because I will not be able to sustain this today. That's what this mimer is all about. It's got to go from the ancient, the holy ancient one, the core inner oneness and inner peace of your soul, the true essence, core identity of self. That has to live and vibrate in the emotions of the heart, which drives my thoughts, my speech, and my action. Thank you very much.